Welcome to Victory Church Winchester, Virginia's weekly podcast. Our desire is that you will find Victory a place to call home. Please take a moment to subscribe and share. Here is this week's message from our Sunday morning worship experience. Y'all ready for the word? So I want you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 1. We're going to skip over uh, John 18 uh, for those that are up in the booth. I got a little homework for you. Look up John chapter 18, beginning at verse 33, and go to verse 37. Uh, If you're following along with us on our Victory Church app, um, you can take notes there. I've got some goodies in there, some fill in the blank. Um, So follow along with us there at the Victory on the Victory Church app. I'm going to begin reading at verse one, Acts chapter one, and verse one. The gospel writer named Luke is writing part two of his presentation of what Jesus began to do and teach, and now he's continuing to tell the story of the early church in the book of Acts. That Jesus has resurrected at this point. We're in this collection of teachings called Encounters. Our first week, Rob Rainville, Pastor Rob Rainville, did an incredible job talking to us about how to encounter Jesus on our Emmaus Road. How many are you grateful that God is not afraid of our pain, but he draws near to us, to those that are brokenhearted, and he walks with us on our broken road. And we also talked about how we can encounter Jesus as friend of the fallen. Talk to you about Peter. And how Peter denied the Lord, but Jesus restored him. Because he had a plan for him. You know, we like to throw things out that are broken. Broken toys. Broken games. Come on. Broken things. But God specializes in repairing things that are broken. Matter of fact, he puts a premium on the things that are broken. He says, if you've got a broken and contrite spirit, then I can use you. And so Jesus has revealed himself to us in his post-resurrection appearance to Peter as a friend to the fallen. And I know I'm grateful for that. How many are grateful that when you fall down, that Jesus doesn't give up on you, he doesn't throw you away, but he reaches down to where you are and he redeems you and he gives you another chance Well, this morning, I want to talk to you, Um, but before I do present my title of my sermon, I want us to read uh, this passage in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So Jesus wasn't just talking about it, Jesus was doing it. Jesus was living out what he talked about. In other words, his character was consistent with what he said. I began to talk to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. So Jesus has been resurrected at this point, and he has appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other Marys, and he has also appeared to Peter, 
the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, that he has also appeared to his disciples and he has also appeared to over 500 people at that time. Between Jesus resurrecting on Sunday and the time when he ascended back to the right hand of the Father at the throne room of God, there's 40 days that take place. And this is what he's doing during those 40 days. He's giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he's chosen. Verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and listen to this, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. He appeared to them for 40 days and spoke to them about what? The kingdom of God. So this morning, I want to share a message with you that I've titled, Encountering Jesus, King of the Kingdom of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you for the opportunity this morning to gather around your word with family. Lord, to hear what you would have to say to us. Lord, help us not to just be hearers, but Lord, help us to be doers. Help us live a life where we don't just receive your word and believe your word, but that we leave out of this moment willing to obey your word. Lord, we haven't come into this moment, into your presence today, Lord, to hear a sermon to sing a song or to attend a service, but we've come into this moment today to hear from heaven, to hear from you. Amen. Open our hearts that we might be ready, willing, and able to hear and to obey. Thank you, Lord, that in this moment we're going to experience your presence and your power in a significant way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when I say the word king, what uh, immediately maybe comes to your mind? Some people, when you say king, you're thinking about like the political realm, the king of England, the coronation of King Charles, right? We saw that this weekend. Maybe you're thinking about the entertainment world, the king of pop, Michael Jackson. Any Michael Jackson fans? Come on, I thought I was going to get a little louder with Michael Jackson. But uh, the king of pop, maybe the king of rock and roll. You ain't nothing but him. Some of y'all Elvis fans, I know, I know. Elvis. What about the king of country? I don't know anything about country, so I'm not sure. Maybe George Strait, Tom Jones, Tom, uh, George Strait. I don't know. Tom, what's his name? George Jones, Tom Jones. George Strait. George, Tom, Garth, I know Garth, Garth Brooks, all right, all right, well, the king of the entertainment world, we think about maybe um, the king of the sporting world, right, we think of uh, the king of boxing, or we think about the king of basketball, come on, and uh, so there are kings, and when we think about this word king, we might have several different, perhaps, preconceived notions of what a king is. There's a cultural definition of a king. There's a historical definition of the king. And then there's a, a biblical definition of a king. Cultural definition 
of a king is someone who is the most respected, most important, the best member of a group, whether that's the animal kingdom, whether that's the entertainment kingdom, the sporting kingdom, a political kingdom. A king in the historical sense of the word is someone, a male figure that rules over a domain, a territory, or a people. Biblically, the word is applied to God as the sovereign king over the universe. And the scripture says in Revelation that he is the king of all kings. He's the king and ruler of the universe of all of its people and all of its territory. And this name king has actually been designated not just to God the Father, but also to Jesus, the Son of God. And this is why he's talking to them about the kingdom of God. Jesus, as our king, is the way into life, and he offers a new way of life. Because whenever you think about a king, you also think about the domain or the realm or the rulership of that king known as their kingdom. Kingdom was a significant teaching of Jesus. In fact, it's the main thing that Jesus talked about the most when he taught in the time of his earthly ministry. He began his ministry by declaring the arrival of the kingdom of God in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. He taught about the kingdom of God throughout his ministry. And then his last words to his disciples before he ascended back to heaven was this in verse 3, speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Jesus described his teaching about the kingdom of God as his ultimate purpose. Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus said this, I must preach about God's kingdom to other towns too. This is why I was sent. For us, this is an important aspect of our relationship with God is to know of, to understand, to apply and experience the kingdom of God that Jesus has provided for us to be participants of and be beneficiaries of. You see, in this kingdom, we are beneficiaries of life, of hope, of righteousness. We are beneficiaries of purpose. We are beneficiaries of joy and of peace and of power. But we have to know these, the teachings of Jesus about the kingdom of God. We have to apply them before we can experience and benefit from them. This new way of life as a, part, as a participant of the kingdom of God is possible, but it's not inevitable, okay? We have to learn to apply the values and to implement them in our daily experience. Now, in 21st, this is the way of the kingdom. In our 21st century uh, American mindset, there's many ways, right, that is being offered to us daily to find the way of life. Jesus said the way of the life is through the kingdom. In 21st century America, we're living in a multicultural, pluralistic society, postmodern society. It's filled with competing worldviews, diverse religions, self-defined moral systems, and individually created identities. So how do we find the way of Jesus, the way in which we should live, in the midst of all these ways of living? I want us to help identify five 
of the central teachings or values of the kingdom of God that Jesus taught us in the scriptures. If he was teaching his disciples things pertaining to the kingdom of God, how many of you know that that's something that we need to learn, we need to apply, and we need to experience? So this morning, with that in mind, I want us to encounter Jesus as king of the kingdom of God by understanding the values of his kingdom, the values of gospel, identity, community, mission, and power. Let's get into the first one. To encounter Jesus as king of the kingdom of God, first and foremost, we access the kingdom value of the gospel. We have to access. Access means this. Then when we are provided permission or liberty or ability to enter or approach a person or a thing in this situation, and in this case, it is God himself. Access the kingdom value of the gospel. Here's a great definition of the gospel that I read uh, from a man named John Tyson. He's a pastor up in New York City, and I love this. So listen closely. This is also in your sermon notes on the app, so you'll have access to this if you log on. The gospel is the good news that God our Father, the Creator, out of His great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin, Satan, death, and hell, and to renew all things, and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, to establish His kingdom through His people in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is for God's great glory and for our profound joy. Somebody give God praise for the gospel this morning. But if you don't know what the gospel is, you can't live for, from its benefits. You can't live out what it's provided. Oftentimes we have an incomplete, an incorrect, or an ill-informed understanding of what the gospel really is. Let me explain it to you. So for many of us, uh, maybe we have an incomplete understanding of the gospel and that the gospel is self-salvation. The gospel is not the gospel of works. It's not the gospel of our righteousness. It's not the gospel of us attaining to please God and stand before God as righteous. Scripture says that, uh, that all our, of our righteousness are as filthy rags before God. We cannot uh, gain uh, access to the presence of God through our works, through our righteous acts. Maybe another way in which we define the gospel is we have an incomplete understanding of the gospel. For some of us, we think that if we come in uh, to believe in Jesus, that he has provided eternal life for us in the heavens. And that's all the gospel is. That's, an not, not, that's not a wrong definition of the gospel. That's not wrong because Jesus has provided eternal life for us, but it's incomplete. It's incomplete in that God has provided a lot more than simply eternal life. He's provided an abundant life here on this earth, he says. I've given you eternal life and life here more abundantly. A life that is filled with power, a life that is filled with purpose, a life that is filled with peace and joy and significance and health. God has provided that in salvation through the gospel. It's not an incomplete gospel. Further, it's not 
it's, it's not an ill-informed understanding of the gospel. Sometimes we look to the good news or gospel or good news. We, we look at it as secular salvation, right? Worldly versions of self-fulfillment, success, fame, power, wealth, and autonomy. Let me share with you a story about what the real gospel is. There was a woman traveling through the state of Georgia. She's going through a certain town, and she's driving 70 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. Nobody knows what I'm talking about in here today. You're going through Georgia. You're just on cruise control. 70 miles an hour, she's going through this town, 55. She gets pulled over. The officer writes her a ticket. She has to appear before the judge. She realizes that this ticket is $250. She does not have the money to pay the ticket, so she shows up in court. She stands before the judge. The judge says, ma'am, you are traveling 70 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. You have to pay a $250 fee because you're guilty. She says, judge, I know that I'm guilty but I don't have the money to pay the fee. The judge says, well, you're going to have to stay the weekend in jail. She says, Your Honor, I don't have the money, and I don't want to stay in jail over the weekend. Can you have mercy on me? The judge says, ma'am, I cannot break the law. I can't change the law. The law is the law. You're going to have to pay the $250 fine or stay the weekend in jail. She looked to the judge and said, Judge, I can't do that. Can you please have mercy on me? The judge pushed his chair back from the bench, stood up from his bench, took off, zipped down his robe, his judge's robe, took the, took the robe, put it on the side of the bench, walked over to where his suit coat was hanging, put on his suit coat, walked down to where the woman that was guilty was standing, reached inside of his pocket, pulled out his wallet, took out $250, set it on the bench, walked back up to where his robe was hanging, took off his jacket, hung his jacket up, put on the robe, zipped up the robe, sat down at his judge's table. And he said, ma'am, you owe the $250 as the penalty for you breaking the law says, what are you going to do? She says, judge, I don't know what I'm going to do. He says, I see that someone has already paid the fine. This is what Jesus has done for us. He has already paid the penalty so that we didn't have to pay the penalty that we could not pay in and of ourselves. God saw us speeding down the highway of sin. He zipped down the independent use of his deity, and he put on the jacket of humanity. He came down. He died on the cross. He resurrected on the third day. He paid the price that you and I could not pay. He zipped up his glorified body, and he ascended up to heaven. The good news of the gospel is that God has paid a bill that we could not pay and it was paid for by the precious blood of Jesus himself. The person of Jesus paid your penalty. This is good news. Access to a new way of life is only possible because of the gospel. Let me share with you the second value of the kingdom of God, which I believe that Jesus was 
teaching and instructing his disciples about. We encounter Jesus as king of the kingdom, secondly, by agreeing with the kingdom value of identity. You might remember in the Gospels where Jesus' disciples were gathered at a place called Caesarea Philippi, and they were having a discussion. And Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And Peter stood up, and he said, some say you're Elijah the prophet. Some say this, and some say that. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, I say that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to you, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my father in heaven has revealed it to you. And he says, your name is going to be Peter. For upon your profession that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God says, Simon, your name meant, Simon means reed shaken in the wind. He said, but I've got a new name that I'm giving you based upon your understanding, your revelation of, what I, uh, of, of who I am in your life. He said, I'm giving you a new identity. And this is what happens to us when we come to know Jesus, when we confess our sins, when we enter into a relationship with God where we are his children, where he is our father, we take on a new identity. Too many people are looking at the wrong source for who they are and what God has called them to do. They look at your face, you look at your face in the mirror and you talk about all the things that you're not and you lie to yourself, you talk about how you're a failure, how you can't measure up, you talk about how other people, how other people define you, and we've misplaced the real source of the question of who are we, we've put it in the definition of somebody else, who other people say that we are. In other words, we have an identity crisis. So you and I need to find out who we are by going to God and asking him who we are. You see, who you really are can't be answered by society. It can't be answered by your bank account. It's not by your job or your social status or your relationships or your appearance or your achievements. The real you is who God says that you are. See, you're sons and daughters of the living God. Come on. You are blessed. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're loved You're righteous in God's eyes. You're the object of his affection. You're an overcomer. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the world. You are God's very own. And when he looks at you, he says, it is good. You are good. And when we are in Christ, that is our new identity. Apart from Christ, oh no, we're bad. We're sinful. We're separated from God. But in Christ... We are loved, we are favored, we are blessed, we are special, we can do all things. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are image bearers of God. And we have to agree with the kingdom value of who God says that we are. We are who we are because who Jesus says we are. We are who we are because of who Jesus says that we are. How many have ever been on a, uh, a trip overseas before? 
What do you need in order to go on a trip overseas? You need your ID and you need your passport. Now, you can pack all your stuff. You can get your suitcase lined up. You can have it folded. You can have all the things that you need on that trip. You can have your snacks in there. You can have everything set to go and all of your itinerary in there. But if you do not have your identification, if you do not have your passport, you are not going to where you want to go. Can I tell you something today that you, not only do you have a national identity, not only do you have a personal identity on a card, but you have a spiritual identity and your spiritual identity is in Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus, your identity is in who he says you are and what he's called you to be. You're not limited by the things of the past. You're not limited by your mistakes. You're not limited by your failures. You're not limited by what other people have defined your role is in society. But no, you can rise above those things and you can step into all that God has called you to be and do. Listen to me. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 in the message translation says that it's in Christ we find out who we are and who we are called to be in Christ. But we have to find out what Christ says about us. Therefore, you have to open up the word of God. You have to attend church Come on, you have to worship and you have to pray. You have to find out what God says about you if you're going to step into all that he has planned for your life. And so we see, about, we see the value of accessing the gospel. We see the value of agreeing with identity of who God has called us to be. And further, we encounter Jesus as king of the kingdom of God by adopting the kingdom value of community. This is important. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus calls the disciples. They're on the Sea of Galilee. And he says, hey, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He calls a group of 12 people to come together, to share and to live life together in community. Being with Jesus, serving Jesus living their life for a greater, more significant cause, dropping everything that they had in order to follow him. You see, this calling to follow Jesus can't take place outside of the calling to community. Jesus doesn't call people to live their spiritual lives as individuals. He calls them to live corporately. We have a personal relationship with Jesus, but we live out this personal relationship with Jesus in the context of community. Our goal here at Victory Church, our cause is to help people find and follow Jesus. And one of the strategies that we have to do that is we embrace growth through relationship. Another way of saying this principle is in the negative, saying that it's impossible to embrace growth without relationship. You see, biblically, there's a divinely designed correlation between uh, following Jesus in community and spiritual maturity. You cannot do it all by yourself. You have to be a part of a community that's growing together and serving Jesus collectively. Timothy Keller, pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City, says, only if you are a part of a community of believers seeking to resemble, serve, and love Jesus will you ever get to know him and grow into his likeness. But we don't like to commit. In our society, we value individualism. 
We value going it alone. We value our preference over commitment. We value consumerism over being a contributor. And so we isolate ourselves from spiritual maturity and growing in all that God has called us to be when we try to go alone. And let me tell you this morning that if your relationships are struggling, you need to nurture and not neglect your relationships. If you have bad relationship with the church in the past and you've experienced church hurt, don't give up on the church. Don't give up on growing in community. You have to put, you know, this is the time of year in which we go outside and we like to do bonfires. You know, we like to sit around the fire. That fire will go out unless you put some wood on that fire. Here's your commitment. Put wood on the fire. Contribute to the fire. You have to continually add wood to the fire in order for the fire to maintain. Don't blame the fireplace if the fire is going out in your life. We have to follow Jesus in the context of community. And finally, this morning, we encounter Jesus as the king of the kingdom of God by accomplishing the kingdom value of mission. This is my last point. I know I got one more, and I'm going to share that next one next week uh, or the week after Mother's Day, the week Sunday after. Accomplishing the kingdom value of mission. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 in one of his post-resurrection uh, appearances to his disciples, he gave them the great commission. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And yes, I'm with you even until the end of the age. It's the great commission that we must value. The great commission. It's not just the great mission, it's the commission. Why? Because Jesus said, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. We don't go alone, but Jesus goes with us on this mission. And it's not the great suggestion. You know, it's not when you feel like it. Everywhere that we go, wherever our footsteps, we are on mission for Jesus. Make disciples. Proclaim the gospel. Live in such a way that your life is a reflection of who Jesus is. Many of us will be the only gospel that anybody ever sees. We have a mandate, we have a message, we have a, me- uh, we have a method, and we have a mentor. Let me talk about the method here real quick. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That was the mandate. Teaching them to obey all, everything that I've commanded you, and yes, I'm with you until the end of the age. What does that look like? That's a general call to mission. But each one of us have a specific calling within that general call of God. And so maybe your calling is to be on a stage, on a platform, to sing or to preach. Or maybe your calling is to lead a group. Or maybe your calling 
is to go into the marketplace as a business owner and reach people in that venue. Or maybe your calling is to be an usher or a greeter or to run tech ministry or work with children or to be a teacher. Whatever your calling is, we all have the general calling, but we have a specific calling. It's the Great Commission. It's the opportunity to change what eternity looks like for you and the people that you care about. And here's our method. Commit to the mission, whatever that looks like. I read this story recently. It came from a, a, a woman named Nancy Duarte. She wrote this book, Resonate. She tells the story of President Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, and he gave a speech that declaring by the end of the decade that the United States was going to put a man on the moon and bring him back. And he wanted support from every American. He said in the speech, in a very real sense, this is his quote, this is a quote here, in a very real sense, it will not be one man going to the moon. It will be an entire nation. For all of us must work together to put him there. He wanted the entire country to feel responsible for supporting his vision. And later, when JFK in, 19, in the 1960s, when JFK was touring NASA headquarters, he was touring the building and he saw a man, a gentleman standing there with a mop in his hand. And the president asked him, what do you do? And the janitor replied, I'm putting the first man on the moon, sir. See, the janitor could have said, I clean floors and I throw trash away. Instead, he saw his role as a part of the bigger mission. That was to fulfill the vision of the president. And as far as he was concerned, he was making history. Likewise, even if you're mopping the church, maybe you're serving uh, as a greeter, maybe you're on a missions team or you're on an altar team or whatever capacity you're serving in the food pantry, you're ministering to kids, whatever capacity that you are serving the Lord, you are accomplishing the mission. And it's that mission that's the motivation to a new way of life for someone who is a citizen of the kingdom of God. And because Jesus is the king, he's the way into life, and he offers us a new way of life. The final kingdom value Jesus talked about a little bit further on in this book of Acts in the next four verses, Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 8. Give you a little homework, and I want you guys to maybe study that this week as I prepare to preach next week. But not only do we access the, access the kingdom value of the gospel, we agree with the kingdom, gospel, uh, kingdom value of identity. We adopt the kingdom value of community. We accomplish the kingdom value of mission. Finally, we activate the kingdom value of power. We can't do it in our own strength and our own ability. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by the spirit of the living God. Next week, the week after next week, after Mother's, I'm going to talk to you about activating the kingdom value of power through the person of the Holy Spirit who is with us. You know, the book of Acts can really, could really be, uh, it, some, some people call it the Acts of the Apostles, but it could really be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. 
the acts of the Holy Spirit as he is working in and through the church. That same power that was released on Pentecost that Sunday, 2,000 years ago, is that same power that we have access to, that we need to activate in our life today if we are going to fulfill the Great Commission and be who God's called us to be and do what all that he's called us to do. Would you stand up on your feet in this place today? Are you thankful for the resurrected Jesus that you know today, that's given you life, that's given you not just pointers, come on, but he's given you practical principles and that you can apply to your life to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God, the fullness of life, of purpose, of peace, of joy, of power that he has already provided for us. We have to learn. We have to apply. Then we will, we will experience what God has already provided for us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning as we close? I want to give you an opportunity today to step in to this kingdom. Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus. He's a religious Pharisee in John chapter 3. And, and, and Nicodemus asks him, he says, how can I inherit the kingdom of God? <laughs> and Jesus says, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You have to be born into this kingdom. You can't learn a, enough about it. You can't give your way into it. You can't be born physically into it. But you have to be, Jesus said, born of the Spirit. Everything that we're talking about today, the values of the kingdom of God as us being beneficiaries of this new way of life that has been provided for us has only been provided because of the King of Kings. Because of the one who invites us to be a part of his kingdom. But his kingdom and his eternal life that he's offered is not inevitable. It's optional. We have to say yes to the invitation. We have to choose that, yes, God, I, I want to be born again. I want to come into this kingdom. I want to come into relationship, have my sins forgiven, be given eternal life and life here today abundantly. Maybe you're in this place today and you're separated from God and you pay a debt that you cannot owe. The reality is that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And through believing in Jesus, confessing your sins and believing in Jesus, the scripture says you will be saved. And so today, you have an opportunity to be born again. You have an opportunity to recommit your life to Jesus. You have an opportunity today to reevaluate your life and where you stand with God. You have a, a, the ability to evaluate whether you're a beneficiary, whether you're living in the abundant life that God has provided for you. And if you're coming up short today,
Would you just admit your need? Would you call upon God in humility, asking him to save you, to rescue you, to give you a new beginning, to give you new life, to help you step into this new way of life, this kingdom life today. So this morning, would everybody just take your right hand, put it over your heart, and with this hand, you're making a commitment. You're, you're putting your hand over your heart saying, God, I make a commitment to you today. Make a commitment to make you my savior, to make you my king, to enter into the fullness of the kingdom of God that you've provided for me. Thank you, Jesus, that I have access, that I can enter into that kingdom today, not on my own righteousness, on the own things that I've accomplished, but only because of what Jesus has provided for me. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Our vision is that you would experience Victory Church as a place to call home. We do this by encountering God through worship, embracing community through relationship, and expanding the kingdom of God through service. Find out more about Victory at victorywinchester.com.